0: Well, good morning. morning. Glad to see you all here. If you have your Bibles, please open to the book of Acts, chapter 17. We'll read from verses 16 through 29, and then we'll get into Acts 17, beginning in verse 16. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. And also some of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, what would this idol babbler wish to say? Others, he seemed to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is, which you are proclaiming. For you are bringing some strange things our ears, so we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting here used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the object of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all the things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, did not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and boundaries of their habitation, and that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your poets have said, for we also are his children. Being then the children of a God, we ought not to think, that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and the thought of man. Father, make this time profitable for us all, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank the ECF Men's Committee for allowing me to speak this morning, and uh, I'm glad to have you all out and we could all be doing something different on a Saturday morning but here we are finding ourselves to fellowship in the in the word and food so our first segment of our of our time today will be invested in this topic God the author of life now this is not just a title to a conference it's a statement of belief a proclamation of sorts it's a world view It's an announcement of how life came to be. It is as though we're all saying all over again, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Whenever you stick a title like God, the author of life, you are proclaiming a worldview. You are stating something, whether we mean to or not. We are making a statement about what we believe and how we are ascertaining how things came in being. The title intimates God is responsible for life's origins, and this is a bold assertion to make in the day and age in which we live, just like it was for Paul when he made it originally on Mars Hill. We're not the first one to have to uh, battle with pluralism. We're not the first society. We're not the first age. We're not the first uh, people to live in a time where They don't believe that God is the author of life. Now, as you can imagine, the enormity of the subject is a bit overwhelming, and there's no way I can ever hope to exhaust all, and that's not my intent, is, is not to exhaust you this morning, but to give you a comprehensive view of what we're talking about. It's my task in my time this morning to bring what it means that God is the author of life as human beings. I have three main points uh, of thought for us to search out together in the form of three questions. How did we get here? What does it mean to be created by God? And lastly, how are we to live with the truth that God is the author of life? So we're going to look at how did we get here, and what does that mean to be created by God, and how are we to live with the truth that God is the author of life? So how did we get here? That's the big question. You know, some of us, if we have children, we always have that question, where did I come from? How did I get here? And before I got saved, that was a question that I asked myself is, how did I get here? What was my purpose What's the use of even existing? And so the question is, how did things come into being? The plant, the trees, the animals, and all the living creatures. Even more to the point, how did man come to exist? Did life, all life, begin with or without a creator? Did life just spontaneously appear or does life have a true traceable origin? The other question associated with this discussion is why origin matters. Why does it matter that we have a point of origin? Why is it, that we, is it important that we have an epicenter? Why is it important that we have a hub by which we can say, yes, this is where we can hang our hat. This is where we can put the, the nail in and say, this is where things began. If you press any set of ideas back far enough, you will reach a starting point, a point of origin. If it does not begin with God, it will begin with some dimension of creation the material, the spiritual, the biological, or the empirical. Here's just a few of suggestions of how, what people say that how we came into being. The first one is the endosymbiotic theory, which this theory. Is, was uh, started by Lynn Margulis and it uh, suggests that multiple forms of bacteria entered into the relationship to form a cell. And then of course someone by the name of James Lovelock um, came along with the Gaia theory which proposes that such bacterial symbiosis establishes the environment and which produce a, a support system for us. So. Here we are, we started as a bacteria, and then, uh, lo and behold, here we are. That's what some people would propose. And then there's panpermia, which cells from outer space, some scientists believe that there was some cells from outer space that attached themselves to a comet or a meteorite, and lo and behold, came to this planet, and started life. Uh, they believe that they has been uh, transported to Earth by extraterrestrial so- sources. Have you ever seen that movie Artificial Intelligence? There you have it, Steven Spielberg. You know, at the end, who is it that came? It was the aliens, who and. They were watching over things. That's the reason why some people believe that there are there are UFOs, that there are actual extraterrestrials, because after all, they are the ones responsible for our existence. So what they do from time to time is they make a visit. And they they uh, they watch over us. They check up on our progress. So uh, that's that's quite a uh, that's quite a point of origin. And then you have cosmonony, which is uh, it's uh, any theory concerning the coming into existence or origin of the universe, or s- some uh, of how reality came to being. And, and what it says is, in the specialized context of space science and astronomy, the term refers to theories of creation of the solar system. For example, Greek mythology and some religion believe that there was. Uh, there was a chaos, utter chaos, and of course, the only way that that chaos was settled was that there was a battle of the gods, and one god was able to establish the sky, the other god was able to uh, to uh, create the ocean, the other gods were able to create the clouds and all of that, and so it was utter chaos, and that's, out of chaos came order. So, there's a, the creation of the universe or the cosmos uh, in creation myth. They believe that creation is a myth. So uh, there's there's a, a number of those that, that can go along. The Egyptians they believe that our universe uh, actually uh, the earth was a was a giant egg with wings and it hatched and voila here we ha- lo and behold here we go and then you have the electric spark theory. And what they believe is that electric sparks can generate amino acids and sugars from the atmosphere loaded with water and methane and ammonia and hydrogen. And in 1953, a person by the name of Miller put lightning in a bottle. And he said, lo and behold, this is how... We got life. It came from, from lightning. It, they go on to say that, um, that lightning may have helped create the key building blocks of life on Earth in its early days. And over millions of years, larger and more complex molecules could form, although subsequent research indicates that the early atmosphere of the Earth may have been poor in free hydrogen. So, as you can imagine, they have to revamp that. They have to refocus that, that study. So scientists have suggested that volcanic clouds in the early atmosphere might have helped uh, build with the, the methane, and the ammonia, and all of, all the rest. So you can see that there is a there is a variety of of creation stories, there are there are a variety of opinions of how we came into being. And of course, as someone said, is that decisions mirror the soul. How we look at how we became uh, in this world, how we came to being, is really picturing what we really think deep and then downside. So if you're in Acts 17, please uh, we'll look at verse 22 through 25. And so Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Therefore you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath in all things. So we see in this paragraph that Paul is disposing a worldview concerning God and creation, which is human beings are never neutral when it comes to God. Human beings are never neutral when it comes to the being of God. Either we worship God as creator or we turn away from God because the heart is either directed toward Him or against Him. Theoretical thinking is never to be pure, it's never so pure or autonomous as many would like to think. We're all tainted with something, we all have a bias we all come to the table with a preconceived idea. And, of course, when it comes to the idea of God, we see that, that in, in, in this society, they had plenty of ideas of who God was. Schaefer would say that all the dots connect back to your idea of origin. We need only to look at Romans chapter 1, As you turn to Romans chapter 1, in the things which have been made. So they are without excuse. So when we begin to look at our, the world around us, and when we begin to converse with other people, and when they begin to uh, come up with these other different ideas, what they're doing is going clearly against what is plainly common sense. Is that God created the things around them. It is, it's sort of like... It's plain as the nose in front of your face, but we, but when you have a bias against something, you're not going to be able to to see something that is that is clear because it doesn't fit your your worldview. Verse twenty one: For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking. So. When man was created, he was created to know God, and he knew God. And what happens as time goes on, as we as sin begins to infiltrate our minds and begin to do all of that, we begin to uh, put other things in his place. And then claiming to be, but they were became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling God, a mortal man, and birds and animals and creeping things. We can see that all the way through Greek mythology, Roman mythology. We can see all of that through different uh, societies whereby how they, um, they have changed the image of God into what they want to put in their plain hands. They don't want the God of Scripture. They want a God that they can control. They want a God that they can place in their hands. They want a God that they can mold and form and shape and do things that they want him to do. And, of course, when we begin to do that, we do not become smarter. We become darker and we become more foolish, and we become less less than what God has created us for. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever." So whenever you have something, and you want something else, you have to replace that with something else. If you want, if we want our own reality, then we have to create that reality. God said, "I am the one who creates all things. I'm the one who is responsible for all of this." So in order for us to uh, to disengage from that, we have to create our own reality. So now we have to come up with different theories, now we have to come up with different identities, now we have to come up with different ways to explain what is not what we believe to be the truth. And so we see Paul asserting a definite answer as to how we came to exist. For he said, For as I passed along and observed the object of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, did not live in temples made by man nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods in the boundaries of their own dwelling place. So for the Christian, this is the ultimate end of our belief system. The Christian message doesn't believe, doesn't begin with accept Christ as your Savior, Christianity begins with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Because if we don't accept the beginning, we won't accept the middle either. We won't accept the end. This is the core if we're going to believe anything else that the Bible says. If we don't believe in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, we won't believe the rest of it either. Scripture teaches God is the sole source of the entire created order. To discover what Scripture has to say on this topic, we simply check with the, the concordance. We can do a simple little Bible study. We can look under the words like create or found or make and so forth. And so when you look at Psalm 24, verse 2, it says, The Lord is the earth and the fullness thereof. And then in Psalm 104, verse 8, it says, The mountain rose and the valley sank down to the place that you appointed for them. Now, these have little to do with human life, but it is pointing to the origin of how we got everything. It does point out how things began. It does have a center from which we can work from, a platform from which we can build upon. Psalm 45, verse, uh, I'm sorry, Isaiah 45, verse 18 says, how does this tie the creation of the world and modern geography was life. For thus is the Lord who created the heavens, who formed the earth and made it and established it. He did not create it empty. He, cre- he formed it to be inhabited. So we're not out of chaos. We are from order. We're not from mythology. We are from an actual beginning, which is certifiable origin. Now, if you look at Isaiah 45, verse 12, it says, I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens, and I commanded all their hosts. So it's not as though we have to, as Christians, that we have to search and strain our brains for new ideas as to how things originated. We have it. Isaiah asserted the fact that God created man. And this is just a sampling of evidence that Paul could have called upon to support his case to those on Mars Hill. More to the point, the apostle is stating clearly that no other gods or opinion can compete with the Lord of creation, and there is no other life source, period. Now, this is, that is a very bold statement that he made. It's a bold statement for us to make in our day and age. That I'm sorry, just like there is one way to heaven, Jesus Christ. How did we get here? God, he's the author. So then the title of this conference, God is the author of life, is this not what we are saying? God, creative word is the source of physical nature Laws of human nature, the principle of morality, justice and arts, and even logic. It is illogical to think that we came from another source other than God. We become foolish. We have become futile. Man has begun to grasp at straws as opposed to settling for what is clear. The only source by which things could have come into being, the creator can, can be seen and known. And so life has a definite starting point, not a hypothetical suggestion. So with God being the author of life, what does this mean? What does it mean to be created by God? What is, why does it matter whether we come from a primordial soup Or is someone who proclaimed to be living crafted us, not of wood or stone? What difference does it make? Why does it matter? I would submit that the difference is how we value life. If God is not the author of life, then how would we value life? Oliver Wendell Holmes wrote, I see no reason to attribute to man a significant difference in kind from, a, from that which belonged to a baboon or a grain of sand. The value of life in the womb is ever under attack. One pro-choice advocate said, abortion should be legal for the woman to rid herself of the hostile aggressor within her, and thus it is justified to use Deadly forced to stop it. Now, how do you, when you have that value of life, and when you see life as an aggressive, hostile parasite, and killing it is okay, it goes to show you where your value of life is. It goes to show you where your point of origin is. The Supreme Court of the land will acknowledge a fetus to be a human but denies it personhood. This is contradictory logic at best. How can you have one without the other? And those who would advocate euthanasia or the right to die would hold this view of life. People are autonomous, uh, self-ruling, biological entities whose life purpose is pleasure and whose end is complete extinction. The logical conclusion of this perspective generally denies by most who hold this view is nihilism. Is that all there is? And if this is, if, you know, if, if this, according to this perspective, life should not be continued unless it is a wanted life. So suffering is an unmitigated negative. Therefore, there are some lives not worth living. So if God is not your the core of your belief system, if God is not your origin, and if you can... Fudge on that a little bit, then life is not really as valuable as we would like it to be. This is hardly the biblical viewpoint, is it? Of course not. When we say God is the author of life, we are saying life has another dimension to it, one that God has given that is sacred. Looking Acts 17, verse 26, it says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. The key, the idea is to live. And the value of life is tied to the one who gave it. So God created us to live, not to die. God is about life. Abundant life. Paul was confronting the philosophers and those gathered that life did not disappear, it was created, and it is a gift to which God alone governs, and when it ends, having determined an allotted period, the boundaries of their dwelling place. So, God is not only the creator, but he's also the controller of your life. He sets the boundaries. He knows exactly how many. So, Fall of man did not change God's perspective on the value of life. All you have to do is read Genesis four, is when when Cain killed Abel. What was God said to Cain? Your brother's life is crying out to me. And in uh, Genesis nine verse four, talks about the fact that. Any life that is taken, a life will be demanded. Man is still imaso de, meaning that we're still created in the image of God. Albeit shattered, it is still the image of God. It is still a creation of God. It's not an accident, it's not something that just happened. It was something that was thought out and something that was purposely created. Put forth was a purpose. And we need to take the time to read Psalm 139, don't we? It says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. David knew that he was a creation, that he was not an accident, that he was not just some biological happenstance. When I was being made in secret, inquisitively woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. So you can see how God still values life and how the writers of Scripture saw life. They saw it as a creation of God, something that he still crafts, something that he still puts together, something that he still molds. And we have to keep hold of that origin, no matter what the society around us tells us that it is. So what does this mean about the value of life? Or at the very least, these three things. All life is precious to him because he created all things. Life is precious because it is God's creation. Life is precious. Human life is precious because it reflects him. We are his image bearers. We can never forget that. We can never forget that your fellow man, whether he's saved or not, he's still an image-bearer of God. He's still worthy of us honoring him. Or We are still to look at human beings not as biological units, but as creation of God. That we not forget that that person has a value to the person who created him, who is God. I mean, if we're going to say that God is the author of life, we have to understand that he will hold us accountable for how we deal with, with that gift that he has given us. Thirdly, God has not relinquished control in spite of medical advances. You know, an old story about the renowned scientist who came to God and said, you know what, we got it all under control. We now know how to create man. We don't need you any longer. We can do what we want. We can create our own life. And I said, wow, that's really interesting. Show me how you can do that. So they reached down and Picked up a piece of dirt, and God said, Oh, excuse me a minute. Go find your own dirt. We can't even create dirt. God is the origin of that. Deuteronomy 32 says, See now that I, even he, and there is no other God beside me, I kill and make alive, I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand, at the very least, God must value human life since he gave his only son for them. How valuable is life? We only have to look at the cross. And Thirdly, since God is the author of life, how are we to live with the truth that God is the author of life? How does it make a difference in our day-to-day living? Paul brought everyone on Mars Hill to a natural conclusion as to how life is to be lived, since God is the author of life. In verse 28, Paul matter-of-factly draws the only conclusion we could possibly come to that we that we uh, we possibly live because. The being is God is the author of life. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. So the bottom line is that we are to live and move and have our being in the only one that matters. God. Dorothy Sayers says, if religion does not speak to our work lives, then it has nothing to say about what we do with the vast majority of our time. And no wonder people say religion is irrelevant. How can anyone remain interested in a religion which seems to have no concern with nine-tenths of his life? If we live as though God is not the creator of our lives, then what are we living for? If he's not the source, if he's not the origin, if he's not the core of our being, then what's the point? What is the point? Nothing has an independent identity away from God or the will of the creator. With the Lord being in our lives as our creator, we are discovering the laws of creation ordinances by which God structured the world. When we look at the universe around us and when we see the sky and when we see the sun and we see all of those things, we are looking at God and we have to incorporate him into our lives. In India and in Africa, The fear of religion is not a separate activity, but one that permeates the whole of life. In other words, he is our meta-narrative. He is our story. He is our source. He's the one that we center all of our very lives around. His lordship, his eminence, now becomes the lens by which we live and view the world. When we see one another, we see, hey, there's a creation of God. When we see the sunrise, hey, there's God. And in verse 28 is to remind us of certain realities that come with God being the author of life. In Him, God is the one that continually sustains us. Without Him, there is no life. Without Him, we cannot be sustained. We moved or are moved is what the greek implies because we are dependent upon him for every ounce of strength to make even the slightest motion my arms and my legs and everything about me moves because god has willed it so and because he is my creator and i am dependent upon him for my very breath we have our being to be alive At all is his gift because we're dependent upon him for our every breath. He holds the breath of every individual in this room in his hand. So when Paul says in him we live and move and have our being, this is what he is saying. So these realities mean that we live dependent upon God. We deny the fallacy that we are self-made men or that our origin is from some, some other source. Everything in life is owing to his providence and power. You were able to come here this morning because God allowed it. The apostle welcomes us to view God at the element in which we live and constantly surrounded by the Godhead and apart from him, we could neither live, we could never move, and we could never exist. So, the conclusion that God is the author of life is driven in verse 29. It says that we are his offspring. And Calvin says that this to mean two things, that we are his offspring by being created by him or that we can be made God's offspring by being crafted into Christ. You see that in Galatians 3.26. But when we say that God is the author of life, we have to come to this realization, realizing our moment by moment dependence on God, the Creator for, your very, for our very existence, makes it appropriate to live lives of devotion, commitment, gratitude, and loyalty toward Him, and scandalous not to. Godliness starts here, with God, the sovereign Creator, as the first focus of our thoughts. So when we say that God is the author of life, we are saying that he is our core, that he is our epicenter, he is our hub, he is everything that we need, not just to be created, but to walk as his creation. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are our creator and that you have created us so wonderfully well. And so, Father, I pray that as we contemplate upon the fact that the very breath that we take is from you, the very things that we can see and do is all because you are the author of our lives. I pray it's been a blessing to those, to men. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.